Hello and welcome to a new episode of A Woman in AI. My name is Kim Dressenhofer. I'm a technical specialist for AI at IBM, and I'm more than happy to announce our new speaker and interview partner for today. She is an author, the CEO of AI and Businesses. She's a keynote speaker and been on various stages, just like TED Talks. And she's also a member of the UK All-Parliament Party for Artificial Intelligence Task Force. And she loves football and she's a singer. Let's welcome Katie King. Katie. <laughs> thank you so much, Kim. Lovely introduction. <laughs> thank you too. First of all, thank you so much again for being a part of this amazing program and being a part of a woman in AI and kind of sharing your experiences. How we just kick it off right away and you tell us a little bit like, who you are again and like what you do in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So your listeners will hear immediately what you see is what you get. I'm very honest. So I'm 53. I'm a mum. I've been in business for 30 years. I live in um, a place called Tunbridge Wells, which is a little spa town about 60 miles south of London. But I'm a Londoner. That's I was I grew up in North London. You mentioned football. Um, I'm an only child and from the age of five, my dad took me to Spurs, to Tottenham Hotspur. And so I grew up with lots of boys and I grew up with loving parents, didn't have hardly any money. And um, we lived on the 11th floor of a block of flats, an apartment um, in North London, but they showered me with loads of love. And from day one, I had lots of confidence um, and that's something I like to share with my you know my daughters have it my team have it so that's really important to me so um, 30 years in business the last 15 years have been me running my own businesses so you mentioned that I run AI in business and I run Zudica's and I had a book published last year by Kogan Page um, this book here which is all about using AI in your marketing. So I'm sure we'll come on to some of that a bit later on. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's amazing. I mean, like that's, that's a long career of different kind of paths as well. Like when did you actually start getting into the technology area? Yeah, good question. I wasn't really into tech as a kid because I grew up in the sort of 70s and, and 80s. So technology wasn't so pervasive. So probably when I first started work, I did a degree in the arts. I did a degree in, you know, French and German and then a master's and MBA in, you know, in business. So it's only really about 1989 and I started working for a tech company. In fact, a German owned company called GC Plessy Telecommunications, which was owned by Siemens, the German um, telecoms company. So really that was my introduction. And I went round the world in uh, Hanover Trade Fair and Baghdad and Nairobi with a box of fiber optic telephone cables. And I was at these worldwide trade fairs and um, yeah, traveled around the world talking about fiber optic technology. And it was so cool. And I was a woman in tech, you know, in, in, that, in a very male dominated environment, but I had that confidence and cheekiness and, you know, I was equal, you know, and then from day one, I let them know there was no messing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was when I first got involved. And then in the early nineties, I worked for uh, eight years for Text 100, which was a leading technology PR consultancy and we did Microsoft's PR for 25 years and looked after um, IBM actually in my later years and many of the up-and-coming technology companies. 
Yeah, that's exciting. Was that always like your passion to like end up basically like traveling the world and trying to like communicate with clients and kind of at the end, like make them make their products better? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I wanted to get start with, I wanted to get into Saatchi and Saatchi and at university. I went for interviews there, but didn't quite work out. So I ended up in public relations and it's been an amazing career because it gives you opportunities to go around the world. It's about thought leadership. I've worked with people like Richard Branson and, and many others. So it's been a, it's been an exciting career. It's probably not what I was imagining when I was a kid I would be doing, but it's what I've ended up doing and it's been, been great. That sounds amazing. For, for your like whole career path, what was one of the jobs which you had like the most struggle with and maybe also the most fun with? Mm. Managing people, definitely. Managing people. As soon as you get past a certain level of experience, um, you are then a manager. And I found that quite hard in the beginning because I'm confident, but you know, below that kind of exterior of like everybody, you have insecurities. And I'm an only child and maybe wasn't so used to sharing and maybe quite private. So although I'm very public, I'm actually quite private. And in the early years, I put on quite a hard exterior and I didn't really let people in. And I think therefore I was a good manager in some sense, but I wasn't such an open manager and maybe therefore didn't get that same level of interaction so I think staff management in my early career was harder in the last 10 years I'd say it's one of my big strengths you know I learn from my mistakes and I'm much much more open and and share and um, prepared to let the lines blurring of professional and and, and you know re relationships and fun blur a little bit more so yeah it's been tough but it's it's also been a strength and I think you just keep learning all the time that is so true do you think that having kids maybe helped with that too good point absolutely yeah I have two daughters um one is 24 and one's 21 um yeah probably but again you don't really experience them as as young adults until you know 15 or so years in but I think that experience of dealing with them as young adults has definitely helped and I think cultures when you work in certain companies and there's certain cultures and you learn I've had some incredible bosses over the years that I've learned from their people skills as well so in the hope that I've passed that on to my teams in the last 10 years or so like talking about like especially like learning from from great leadership right do you have like a, a mentor that you, or like, how do you find mentors on your own? So something like a path you recommend or like you follow people on like, for example, social media, and then you say like, that's an interesting type, or um, is it someone always in work related? Is it someone in the same area as you? Like, how do you find a good mentor? Yeah, I've never sought a mentor. I have a lot of um, business associates who have a formal mentor and they find that mentor through, for example, universities have mentorship programs, um, networking groups, BNI or 4N or ladies who lunch, those kinds of things. You often have people that find mentors that way. I've never sought that or found that. My mentors have normally been either um seen sometimes clients you know sometimes clients you you learn from especially more senior ones but usually it's been a great boss and sometimes you learn from a poor boss 
I won't name names, but in the early years, I had some managers who were very demeaning and made me feel very embarrassed and small. Um, and I learned how not to manage from them. Um, so yeah, I think there are more formal routes that you can seek out and you can pay for one. Um, but yeah, I, and, and as you say on social media, you don't, I don't, I don't so much, I listen to some good podcasts, maybe not so much the people management, but certainly people who are doing great work and you're inspired, you know, some of the people like Rob McCargo and some of the PwC people I've dealt with have been really inspiring. It's a great culture and so on, but yeah, lots, lots of different routes to that. Do you think like, especially you're talking about the like, the like poor management you sometimes experience, do you think that kind of was like also the point, I mean, you're a woman in tech, you were like, you mentioned earlier, you were one of the only ones there. Do you think that you kind of experience a different like behavior and treatment? Only small amounts. Um, so in the first company, it was a big corporation and most of the, it was a lot of men, the women, a lot of the women were in the typing pool and they were very you know they were typing you know before word processors and they were uh less strategic and obviously less well educated i was one of the few women at the time in more of a senior position and most of the men were great the boss was just a bit too tough and a little bit patronizing um over the years i've worked in lots of industry sectors and i have definitely experienced sexism you know i even i won't again won't name names but you know i would go to networking groups with a young group of women in my team and people would make comments oh here come the sex kittens mm -hmm. things like that which were very unprofessional and they were that was in a hard facilities management property type of sector so i've certainly experienced that and my colleagues at the time were not happy about that and i made it clear that we don't stand for that they were never clients who did that they were kind of people you networked with so certainly experienced that and you know and it wasn't acceptable then and it's certainly not acceptable now and people stand up for themselves much more now but I always stood up for myself even then but on the whole I think I've been lucky and I haven't experienced too much of it and you know not no real kind of glass ceilings or anything like that promotion has always been there opportunities so it's never been a barrier that's amazing. And I mean, like, if you, you, you mentioned, like, right, you have so many colleagues and especially like what you just experienced, that sounds kind of like that's a rough path you got to go through, right? Um, I have the feeling it requires a lot of soft skills to kind of like handle those kind of conversation and kind of like talk about it. And I mean, you don't want to, if you like have that experience and someone tells you stuff like that, right? You never want to act aggressive or something, but you want to call it out. You're right um yeah what is like a like a set of soft skills you kind of like recommend everyone to just like learn and really like have always in pedal yeah i think that's a good question actually um i think all through my career diplomacy mixed with um punching above your weight and being very assertive are really really important so you know you need to stand up for yourself you need to be assertive both in the way you speak you know your behavior and the written word as well you know stand up for yourself cover yourself in emails and so on so you know i learned early to play the politics uh, never i went to bed at night you know sleeping well never treading on anyone's toes 
for having integrity, but I stood up for myself. So I think you need those soft skills. Um, and that comes, I think that has to come from within. So I think as you have to, if you don't believe in yourself, you know, you need to find someone who will help you to do so. And so like you say, finding the right mentors, if you haven't got that from a mother and a father or a partner, you're seeking it from a boss or from a friend or from a mentor, but you absolutely need that. You know, so you need, you need those kind of skills of, of self-belief and self-esteem. I think they're really, really important. And I've found being an avid reader as a child that, you know, having a great grasp of language and learn and, 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 you know, people say, oh, English, you don't need that. You don't need those sort of skills. You need to be able to write really, really well and express yourself. So I think that helps too. That's all right. Um, I also think like the topic confidence, which you mentioned, right, to like step up for yourself and kind of like be the person and just like have your own voice spoken. Um, especially if you think about just like a little play right now, just imagine someone is watching this, this video right now, right? And they uh, want to like want to be a woman in tech and uh, like later woman in AI. And what kind of tip would you give them to like gain that confidence and like maybe something you gave your daughters as an advice to just like mm. handle that and do the step? What would you give them? Yeah, I think tenacity. So it's that confidence to punch above your weight and to tell the world you know what you're doing so I encourage my team and my you know my daughters to you know to for example be on LinkedIn tell people what you're doing so I sometimes show some vulnerability and share a few issues but on the whole people want to hear the good things and again this might be a bit contentious but you know if I've got major problems I'm not going to tell the world about it you know, I will occasionally share some vulnerable areas so that people see the real me and the humanity, but I also need to promote the good things I do. And so people need to see the good that you do and, and, and how capable you are and your achievements and so on. And I think that's really important. And I think that tenacity to reach out to people right at the very beginning, when you're an intern, when you're a student trying to get an internship, when you're climbing the corporate ladder, you know, you are why not reach out to the top people globally? You, what have you got to lose? So I think not being afraid, not always thinking other people are better than you because a lot of the times they're not. So over the 30 years, I've experienced real incompetence at the highest level. And again, I'm not going to be unprofessional and say who, but real incompetence. Yeah. Um, and equally from very junior new people, real talent so and I think today the, the playing field is much more equal you know I think AI and other tools are giving us opportunities as young people that come into the workplace early on to rise above and we've got to, you haven't got to do your 10 or 20 years before you get it you can you can get in there and, 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 and differentiate yourself very very quickly that is so true I mean like now talking about AI tell us a little bit about your AI journey Oh, wow. It's exciting, actually. So I'm not a technologist. I have been in tech, um, applying tech, helping clients communicate their tech for 30 years. But I don't have a degree in technology. And so I have been for quite a few years, probably 12 or more years at the cutting edge of uh, digital technology. And I again, I'm not 
setting up companies in it, but helping companies to get to grips with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the different tools in terms of how do they use them? How do they apply them? How do they make the most of them? Um, but then everyone caught up. And so everyone that I was five or 10 years ahead, I did TEDx talks on it, but everyone caught up and I was, I'd left London and I was in Kent. I was over 50, had experienced a little bit of, of sexism and ageism, which we might come back to later. So I thought I've got to have a new USP, a unique selling proposition. I need something that future proofs me for the next five or 10 years. And so this book, like I mentioned, it's a collection of case studies. I spent a year researching it. Um, you know, major brands, loads of technology disruptors, regulators, um, exciting academics all over the world. And so this book has opened lots of doors for me. It's been translated into loads of languages, including Chinese, and it's got me into AI. So I got excited about AI about four or five years ago with a client in the facilities management property construction space. We wrote a white paper for the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors and all these kind of bells were, were you know, the, the, the kind of eureka moment was happening. I thought this is exciting, but it was a little, again, quite early. Even when I wrote the book, it was quite early. There was still quite a lot of mistakes. There was still lots of hype and paranoia as per the Gartner hype cycle. And so that's been my journey. And so since then, I set up my own business, AI in business. I have been traveling all around the world. I've been to Dubai and met the ministry for AI there. I've trained companies all over the world on how you harness AI in your marketing, your sales, your CX and your um, HR. So it's been exciting. And I'm just in the middle of um, submitting the synopsis for the second book. That is Wow. It's just like, I'm like, how do you have time in your day? Like you're doing so many things. Like how do you kind of like balance it all? I don't balance it because I probably don't have enough downtime. Um, but I am a bit of a workaholic and I really enjoy it. So if other people are out getting drunk, I'll be having a glass or two of wine, but I'll be quite happy at home having a couple of glasses of wine, writing my book and so I probably am not partying as hard as some people, but um, that's what I enjoy. You know, I love reading. I devoured books as a child and that's my passion. Um, and I think when it's your own business, when you're an entrepreneur and you're running your own business, balance is not quite on the agenda because you throw everything into it. You know, technology, our smartphones were meant to free us up, weren't they? But, you know, we're chained to them. We're watching these apps 24-7. I wake up in the morning and I'm, you know, go to bed at night and it's, it's just there. So, yeah, I love technology. I love working. I love progressing. I love change. So, yeah, I think it's, that's what keeps me going. And, and I'm making some plans now to start to have a bit more of a balance in my life. But it's taken me a long time to get to that. <laughs> If you think about your books, like what is your favorite part about AI overall? I love the, I love the, 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 the speech and voice recognition sides of it all. I love 
it's not quite there yet, but it's coming and I want it to be ubiquitous. I want us not to be glued staring at words and not interacting with people, but for it to be voice based. So the ability to, you know, to speak commands and I don't just mean simple Siri and Cortana and so on. I mean, um, all kinds of avatars and digital people. So the potential for that side of AI really excites me. And I said this in my second TEDx talk, the potential for AI, and I know we all know it can automate and do things, but when it truly can, you know, do my housework and, and I have one AI and I know it's narrow AI, you've got an AI that could clean the floors and AI that could chop all the vegetables. When all of those start to come more affordable and are in our kitchens and in our homes, and we've got driverless cars that are affordable, that maybe in the next five or so years, that really, really excites me. At the moment, it's using tools for doing, you know, maybe creating some of the articles and doing some of the research for digital marketing. So there's some cool stuff that's already happening, but I think the really big stuff that's coming down the line is, is the bit that really excites me. That's, I like that you mentioned that because every time we talk about AI, right, it's just like an, we mentioned like an overall word, but underneath it lies so much, right? We have, like, as you mentioned, the speech recognition, we have the visual recognition, we have all the like textual recognition, all that's like kind of like understanding big data and unstructured data. So I really Absolutely. like that you mentioned that. And I think the beauty also lies in between like the like combination then at the end of all the services. So when you say like, okay, I'm fascinated with speech, you can become a literally an AI expert for speech services, right? And like, if you like text and you like reading, you can, you can understand, you can teach a machine at the end, understand the text and help you find more insights in it. Um, Absolutely. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? It really is. And as you say, it's that family, isn't it? It's that family of, of data science, of, uh, you know, machines that are imitating that intelligent human behavior, and that's exciting. And again, the, the, the bit that's the most powerful that isn't quite there yet, but that ability to democratize the best education money can buy for everyone around the world. You know, it's a bit of a utopia, but it's potentially possible. And, you know, I'll maybe come on in a little while and talk about it, but I've got an exciting project at the moment and pioneering with that for, you know, for schools. So that to me is... You know, that was what Bill Gates talked about. You know, your, your best ever dream or your worst ever nightmare, that kind of light and dark, you know, the, the light parts of that, the exciting parts, you know, we, we've got to really make happen over the coming years. Yeah. And I, I, when I talk to my clients, I always kind of mention like, oh, it's like a Lego. So whatever house you want to build, you can just use the services, right? And just build your own kind of like structure, right? Um, Absolutely. Like, it's, it's the most fun. Um, I mean, this is, since it's such a big part, I mean, you also became the UK member of the, the All Parliament Artificial Intelligence Task Force. Do you want to tell us a little bit about like your role there and kind of what you do? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's an all-party parliamentary group and we're a task force for the enterprise adoption of AI. So there are many, many, they're called APPGs, all-party parliamentary groups. There are lots of them. And they're headed up by a Lord, Lord Tim Clement Jones, and by members of parliament like Stephen Metcalf MP. And they pull together people from all different organizations. Um, and I'm there and we're pulling together a toolkit 
and we're advising parliamentarians and we're spreading the word and we're educating. But the great bit is we hear evidence from all over the world from some of the best brains in AI. It might be a, you know, how AI is being adopted by schools in China, how retailers are deploying AI, how marketing professionals are using it in an automotive example. So, you know, we're all learning every day and virtually at the moment, you know, because obviously we can't go into the House of Commons, House of Lords, we're doing these virtual briefings and getting, you know, sometimes two, 3,000 uh, guests listening in to seven panelists. So it's groundbreaking work and, it's about ethics and transparency and trust and you know international collaboration and it's exciting work and obviously the UK is part of this new um, group that was formed of the OECD countries who formed an alliance and that's very much about the big macro business issues of privacy and trust and explainability I'm sure IBM is is involved in some some of those big areas as well so yeah it's it's great work and I'm privileged to to be part of that that's exciting I mean where do you go to learn is there like a platform you like go to like educate yourself I look at World Economic Forum. I follow some great people on uh, LinkedIn who are at the World Economic Forum, IBM, PwC, uh, eConsultancy, Gartner, Forrester, um, AI Business Journal, LinkedIn groups, a whole range of sources. And, and every few days I do a personalized Google search and I look at, you know, doing a Boolean search, you know, the capital A-N-D and do kind of AI and marketing and find out what the latest news is. I follow what venture capital, where the venture capital money is being invested because that's really what's helped this space to explode. You know, as you know, you've got the processing power now, you've got the data, and now we have the venture capitalists who are investing the money in all of these companies that are starting up. So it's interesting to see where that kind of money and investment goes as well. So many, many, many different sources. And if you follow and you connect to a lot of people in that tenacious way I mentioned, then you're going to get their feed just on your LinkedIn or on your Twitter. That is true. And I kind of love the new generation, like the new platform people are giving, because you can learn like on whatever platform you want to go. So for example, if you're completely like new to stuff, you just like go on YouTube, you learn how to code it. It's like, I know for me, exactly. it's the greatest thing of this, this whole, whole time right now that you can like have the time and the data, as you mentioned, that we can, which you actually can use and have access to. Totally agree. Yeah. I think we're so lucky. I think it's quite overwhelming for some people. You know, they're totally inundated. And I know a lot of people through lockdown that are working for big companies, small companies, and they are working longer hours and harder than they ever did. You know, they're not having to commute into cities and so on, but they're still working. Even my, you know, my daughter's still working long, long hours. So I think it's still quite tough, you know, when we have a huge number of platforms to keep on top of. But uh, yeah, it's, as I say, quite democratizing at the same time. You know, information has become that commodity. But uh, one tip is learning, and they should teach this in college and in university and in school. You need to learn to be resourceful. You need to learn how to search and where to search. And even little algorithms, you know, simple long tail Boolean searches are important to be able to filter the information that you need. 
That is so true. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like about, especially the ethic board, right? Because that's for me, is, it's, it's so interesting how AI just became such a topic in the last five years and everybody is kind of having it. But we do have an issue, especially on, on the ethical part, especially like about bias. And I think like, even as time right now, it's become such a bigger topic because we actually like talking about it and we are identifying bias and we need to fight them. Um, as a, I mean, I'm a data scientist by myself. What do you think needs to happen to, for us to also learn and at the end to be kind of like a good person to do the right thing? Yeah, you're right. Because the, your program, the people that are programming, you know, the data that gets fed in the way the, 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 the programs are coded and, and, and fed. So first of all, the data, if we're talking about bias, you know, you, you as a company, you might start using AI in your recruitment, but if you carry on using the same data and it's fed by the same people with that myopic sense of only hiring men of 50 plus, then you're not, you're going to fuel that bias. So I think it's not expecting that the AI alone is going to solve all those problems, but actually looking at the data set and looking at the people that you do actually hire to program, you know, encode the, the, the machines. So that's really important as well. Um, and I know that there are various tools that are helping organizations to do that. But, you know, diversity and inclusion, for example, and, uh, you know, it's very contentious at the moment, but the facial and the emotion recognition technologies, you know, that have had their role to play in some of the policing and some of the big issues of the moment around Black Lives Matter and so on. You know, there's a lot of work to be done to combat that. And I think that requires open, honest debate. It requires data scientists, business people, regulators, internationally to you know, to certainly get on board and create frameworks and policies and treaties, because at the moment, I think it's required internationally, and yet we're all operating at a national level. And we've all got our different politics and our different defense related issues. But you still need to sit above all of that with a treaty or some kind of framework like the one that was just announced um, for, for, for AI uh, through the OECD. Um, so it's still quite early days, but I think trade bodies, companies need their own codes of conduct and need to collaborate with the regulators and do so in a very fast because the law hasn't yet caught up. The law is lagging behind. Yeah, yeah you're so right. It's such an interesting topic. I don't know, like, especially when you see all the data and you see kind of like what the issue is. And if you, I mean, we're also in the great phase right now where we can literally tackle it and we can like unbiased the bias at that point, as my uh, friend Dalit said once. Um, she, she like also at that point where like, okay, we have the chance now to actually fight, fight, um, fight it. So we should definitely tackle that. And I'm 100% on your side to just like, there needs to be regulation. And it's, yeah. I mean, I think like the, the numbers in the last three years, the, the, the internet created 80% more data, which is especially unstructured data. So that's, that's just like a, an amount of data we can't even like understand. <laughs> it blows your mind, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. But it's that balance. And I think in a lot of countries, there's, 
they're not taking the balance of regulation and innovation. They're letting it be too they're stifling innovation by too much regulation. But if you don't have enough regulation, you're going to have all kinds of issues. And I don't think the playing field is that fair when you look at certain countries that maybe aren't regulating as much. It's, it's tricky. We're getting into territory that's quite political and so on. But it, it's, it's a tricky space to navigate. That is so true. Um, I want to come back to the topic about like your, your kind of like balanced lifestyle and your experience with discrimination and sexism and all that stuff. And I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about like your own personal experience about the like the pressure we, we women have and at the workforce of being the, the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect career woman. We also have to have the perfect body and like all that, that pressure that just basically comes on us which is yeah. like maybe also like directed with, with like the, the, the role people or like women have, especially it's like in movies and how we get re represented. And I don't know, I just wanted to like hear a little bit about like your perspective and like how you- Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting subject. Um, where do I start? I think you change and obviously I'm, you know, a lot older than you and, and I'm, I've got two daughters. It's hard when you're uh, a young if, so so I started work with a first with a degree uh, you know what is it 2021 had my daughter at 29 my first daughter so I had a quite a good chunk of career and I got relatively senior and luckily I was working for a company at the time that I had my daughter that was very progressive with its HR and was run by a woman who was having children at the same time as me. So I was very lucky to get promoted whilst on maternity leave and to be allowed to work flexibly, but that didn't stop the guilt. So you're, you're maybe working four days a week, but really you're working five or six crammed into that and you've got a new young family and you're commuting. It was really, really tough. So again, you've got that facade, everything's wonderful, but behind the scenes, you're turning up at the nursery, the lights are off, you're late, you're crying in the car to get there, you're feeling guilty. It's hard. It's I think being a working mum is extremely hard. However, being a mum at home with children can also be without help. I think if you've got money, if you've got a nanny, if you've got interests, perfect. Not many people have that opportunity. Many of us have had to work. And so I think if you're at home all the time with children and you're struggling, that can be tough too, because you, your head goes to mush and you don't feel so worthy. Yes, you've got time with your children. Sometimes it's very boring, you know, having a baby, but you know, so there's no right or wrong answer. It's what is works for you. And for me, I came from a working class background and no one had gone to university. I wanted so much more than I had. And so the only way to get that was to work really hard. Now, uh, my daughter, and I've been uh, self-employed for 15 years. So for the last 10 or 15 years, I've had more balance. I've been able to be flexible, but in the, uh, their early years, that was tough, really, really tough. And I, I say to them now, make wise choices because you have no idea how hard it is. If you're really ambitious and you want a family and you want to look good in your mind and do all these things, something's got to give. 
because it isn't it isn't so easy and and I think when you're climbing and now I'm thinking I don't need such a big house I want not to have to work five days a week and I want flexibility to just go around the world and and travel for personal reasons not just turn up at a hotel room do my conference speech and fly back so there's no real I'm not giving you much of an easy answer I guess I'm just acknowledging that it is really really hard but it's worth it because the girl my girls now are inspired by what you can achieve on your own I'm not reliant on a company to give me that I'm creating what I want for myself and up until a while back for a team of you know five or ten people so it's there you can have it it's not always what you imagine it's going to be it comes with a lot of pressures you've got to be kind to yourself you've got to realize that not everybody else you know there's that surface there the swan gliding across and underneath you're going like that and just be aware that other people have got that too and not you know I think maybe be a little bit more open to that you know and be kind to one another and give one another that flexibility so but being an entrepreneur is very very tough but does give you a lot more options yeah I'm definitely pro woman support for women that gotta happen oh yeah we gotta, we gotta understand that we're all here together and we're all struggling underneath the water. <laughs> so let's exactly, um, exactly. There, and I was lucky to have parents who were there who supported me as well. So that is really lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there a routine you do like on a daily basis where you go like, okay, you set yourself plans, so you have a planner. Like, how do you structure your day? Yeah, it's very analog. Uh, I have notes, I have to write down notes, but it's analog in that sense, but it's also digital. So my calendar dominates, you know, it's just, just, just a Google calendar, but it's just got time assigned to everything. And I know when it comes to the end of the week that, you know, those absolutely crucial things, you know, have to be done. And if that means I'm going to have to do them on Sunday, then they've got to be done. So I have a kind of a, a matrix of, client work, marketing work, new business development, personal, personal always gets pushed down a little bit further down the line, but you know, it's pr really proactive. So I, I, I'm looking at LinkedIn three or four times a day, first thing in the morning, end of night, I'm reaching out proactively to new people with a very compelling message and, and, and you know, being quite tenacious in, in getting them on board. I'm reaching out to other people for PR, for podcasts. Um, I, when we're not in lockdown, I'm going to networking. So I'm trying to balance my week with uh, client, existing client work and always having a pipeline of new business and knowing that I need 10 or 15 plates spinning at any one time because 10 or 12 are gonna just drop. And I'll only be left with two or three and maybe one or two of those will convert. So to be successful, I think you've got to really be very productive and very tenacious and very realistic. And I, I guess the other one, I haven't mentioned it yet, and it's so true, is determination. Mm. You know, I didn't get into the school of my choice when I was younger and I cried and my dad said, you will go work hard at this school, become head girl and then you show them what they missed. So it was that kind of like real determination, not be, you know, you're knocked and you're upset, pick yourself back up and you try again and you do even better. Um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, that is like the, the hardest step, right? It's like, that's 
that's also like we can relate on sports, right? If you lose, you got to like knock it up, like get up again. And you got to fight harder and train better to just like. Absolutely. And it might be, you know, might be a few years. So I've had three tough years because I didn't, my business was being acquired three years ago. It all fell through. The company didn't raise their private equity and I won't get into too much detail, but it didn't quite happen. And since then, it's been quite tough for a few years. The toughest year, in the toughest year financially, I wrote my book. So I spent a year in a kitchen that was half-baked and the house was just not what I want and it was just a nightmare. But I found the resilience to write a book and got through that year. And, And I just think that kind of something within you that is about, I can do this and no one else can really give you that it's got to come from within and again I'm drawing back on my family supported me but at the end of the day I still had to do it so I think you need to find some depths of your own resilience and if you want something bad you're going to have to fight really really hard for it you know I know it's it can be tough but if you want it bad that's what you've got to do yeah gotta fight for it I mean, it comes like for, for, from my perspective, it's like also like self-reflecting, right? If you really want to be successful, it's a lot about like, okay, what happened? What was the problem? And basically also like, how can I do it better? I think the topic about the top, like the, the negativity when you say like, oh, I did something wrong is way too big. Because like every time we like, people are getting scared nowadays to kind of like just talk about the issues they had and like talk about the failures but i think it should be such a big part in every meeting that okay what actually went wrong how yes. do you solve that because at the end i'm like it's and you need to be solution orientated right and if you're you absolutely about, right yeah it's you're it's, absolutely right kim in my book so obviously the book is lots of case studies so it's other people's advice but i pull it all together and one of the key parts of it is a scorecard for success about how you apply it and you've picked up on a few of those really important points there and one is experimentation you know there's 10 key factors and one is the experimentation and the proof of concept and i think in ai as you're you know you rightly know better than i you're innovating and you're iterating all the time and I think, I don't know about whether it's a, you know, a German thing, but it's certainly a very British thing to be very frightened of failure. Um, and I think with fourth generation technologies like AI and machine learning, we've got to get used to it because we need to do these small proofs of concept in a, let's say with AI and our digital marketing in this department, prove it works, keep iterating it, and then roll it out in other parts of the organization. So I think we will, as companies, as, as leaders, have to do it but i think good leaders do it already um and so your point also there about um i one of the things i'm always saying is i'm on a journey of continuous learning and to have a curious mind and to keep learning and to your other point i'm glass overflowingly positive which can be a problem because i might get involved in things and think oh that's wonderful i'll try this and then it won't quite work out but optimism and positivity are important traits as well yeah. with with a dose of realism <laughs> yeah and i also think like sometimes patience because especially like for example from my perspective right i'm working in a big big, big corporate uh, environment so the process actually sometimes they take longer so you cannot mm. expect that everything like 
you started and you have talent and you just like want to do stuff, but just also you got to have the patience and also appreciate um, the past that you're learning. Cause I feel like the, now the kind of world is kind of like, it changes so quick. I mean, if you look at our mm -hmm. sector AI, it kind of changes every half a year, like new services, new ideas, new out of the art um, technology. And especially that thing that, that we are, kind of like in the trap right now that we like we got to change we got to change we got to change but we don't kind of realize that if you want to have the experience if you want to get into the senior level you also have to appreciate the learning path and that comes with patience right you got to be like okay i gotta sit back i can't change the job every two years because then i just like lose kind of track of how a company actually kind of works and i think that's You're absolutely right and it's a little bit of our society today isn't it of of that quick fix you know yeah. even thinking of beauty products you know as a woman and knowing that i don't need a quick fix i've got to put the effort in to try and achieve that and that might come from an exercise regime and a a, a diet rather than being depressed because you've got fat and then going and having it all sucked out and do you know what i mean i mean there's some weird things and i just think we we need we need patience, as you say, and resilience and, and, and to try things um, and put that effort in, most definitely. Yeah. I have one more question. What is your favorite app on your phone right now? <laughs> Do you know what? At the moment, the one I'm really, really enjoying, it's not tech at all. It's Ancestry. So it's an Ancestry app. And I'm writing a book about my grandmother and she was married to the Sultan of Zanzibar in the, in the Second World War during the wartime 1941. So my app that I'm spending any free time I get is not a tech one. <laughs> I mean, I love WhatsApp, I love Facebook, I love Instagram, I love some of the apps that are around, the tools that I use um, for my work. But the one I love at the moment is, is Ancestry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's also such an interesting story. Like, a lot of an amazing life. Um, I kind of like close the interview up. I kind of have one more question. If just like for our listeners here, one advice you would give them? Keep learning. Um, you know, you've got to be curious. So you come out of university next week with a degree in data science or a degree in marketing. You think, great, that's it. I'm on a journey of continuous learning. We all have to be. So I think a curious mind, learning all the time, showing confidence and just, just, just realizing that things are not always what they seem. You know, that you're good, you're worthy, you have a voice. And I think, and that's a whole bunch of things, but it's all encapsulated in that kind of curiosity and that self-belief, I think, is, is, is the key. Where can the listeners reach out to you? Wow. So lots of places. So my email, katie at zudikas.com. The website, the main website really is aiinbusiness.co.uk. If you go there, you can find all of the Twitter and the other handles and so on. But yeah, aiinbusiness.co.uk. And I'm very open, very happy to connect with lots and lots of people, all different walks of life. I do quite a lot with students and mentoring and and so on so yeah love to connect love with people schools too right yeah the whole exactly yeah, the topic, yeah 
Katie, that was awesome. Thank you so, so much for joining this interview pod and sharing your experience and your amazing life story. Like, I can't wait to, to see more of you and I'm definitely following along. And then maybe in five years, Thank you. another interview and then you tell us what Yeah, you that would be amazing. Yeah. Thank you for an incredible interview, really probing, interesting questions and uh, well done to you. Carry the banner for the women in AI. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me. Bye.